There we go. Okay. As we dive in, pull up on campus and go to, oh, man, sensitive computer today. Go to the assignment page. So I'm going to go here to Shakespeare, first period, assignments. So you should all be following along. I like everybody just kind of play along. All right, you got to do whatever you need to do with your filter. So this school year published. Do you guys have a filter or do you just get stuff? Oh, you don't have a filter. So these are all the assignments that have been published, right? Go to, they should see one that says letter to a critic. Does everybody see that? Yes? Okay. Letter to a critic. And it's in two formats. You will see the actual description of the assignment. Oh, man. I keep trying to, let me, I'm just going to do it right now. What was that? So this is Shakespeare, assignments. Letter to a critic. Okay, it should say letter to a critic, culminating assignment for Twelfth Night. I need to change something though. I changed it yesterday. Due on October. So we, the due date is changed. Thirteenth. Okay. All right, so click on that. You should see this. All right? To my wonderful classes, Shakespeare Twelfth Night, and I've got this culminating assignment. Now, I want you to consider a few things. This, what the critics say handout, is what critics have been saying about Twelfth Night since the 1700s. Right? When I worked at Chicago Shakespeare Theater and I was writing the teacher manual for them for The Tempest, I think I mentioned this to you, I had two months to go to the library in Chicago and read everything and anything that was ever published about The Tempest. It was a fascinating two months. I learned a ton of stuff. But my job was to find these quotes from all these critics over the last 400 years. Right? And it was like a 40-page document that we narrowed down and kind of combined some that were similar. And then we ended up with this really cool like 10 to 12-page handout for teachers to be able to offer students. What have people been saying over the years? Maybe you had a conversation about Twelfth Night in the past four weeks. Maybe, I kind of hope that you talked with somebody about Twelfth Night somewhere, right? Where is that conversation? Now. It's what? It's kind of gone, right? Maybe you remember it so that it's in your brain, but when you go, or when the person you talk to goes, it's what? The conversation's gone. Does that make sense? So for some of you, this, this opening 30 seconds right now is just to get a general reference. That's part of why we write things down. Does that make sense? Like, If we write it down, I can look up a 300-year-old document on what someone said about this play, and I can have this 300-year-old, I can enter the conversation. And so in some respects, literary criticism is an ongoing written conversation. Of course we dialogue about it, but those conversations that we're talking about stick with us, they shape us, they can help us understand things, but unless we write those down, no one else gets to enjoy that and the conversation's gone. Fair enough? Something to consider. That's what you're partaking in. You are joining the 400-year conversation about Twelfth Night. 
And by writing it down, other people can read it. Other people can be part of that conversation. You get to enter into the written conversation. What's happened in the last 30 or 40, 50 years is now we have video conversation and we also now have podcast and audio conversation. I'm intrigued to see how that will change literary criticism, right? Because now I don't just go read everything, I need to go listen to everything and watch all these things as well as part of the conversation. Anyways, for you, writing is a life skill. It's a college skill. And so we're going to practice that because you're in an English class. Got it? Fair enough? Just kind of giving you some context of what we're doing. I like to try to be creative. Very rarely after school are you just going to write a paper to hand into a teacher for a grade, <laughs> right? If ever. And so what I like to do with my assignments is I like to make them practical. I want you to read some of the conversation for the past 300 years, 400 years on Twelfth Night. And I want you to pick someone to talk to about that in writing. Some of these critics are alive. You could send the letter to the critic, couldn't you? And actually have a conversation. I kind of like that. We have a literary, well, literary science journal at Wheaton Academy. Anybody know about it? What's it called? Ratio, right? Anybody on it or part of it? In the classroom? No? Ratio is at Wheaton Academy. You could talk to Mr. Regan and his team, Mrs. Urban and her team, I think she's part of it as well, and you could publish your 12th night paper in that publication. It's a real publication. It's not just some cute little high school thing that we're doing on the side. It's a real publication with circulation, so you could even be published on 12th night. Kind of cool, right? So I want this to be real in those respects. You can publish it in ratio. You could send it to the critic. I want it to be first person so that it feels conversational. Agreed? Okay. So here's the assignment then. Pick a critic and their quote and respond. It's a formal letter. You can disagree or agree, but here's the key. You can't use this as your thesis statement. This already is a thesis statement for somebody else's paper. So you either have to say, I agree. Everybody does wear masks in Twelfth Night. And here's what I want to say about masks in Twelfth Night and everybody who's wearing them about these two characters because I'm only writing five paragraphs. Fair enough. So you can agree and then do your thoughts. Or you can disagree and say, I don't think Malvolio should take his own life. Sorry, Mr. Whatever. I disagree with you. There are plenty of other options for him. Right? <laughs> I probably disagree with more than half of the quotes on here. And to be really blunt, many of these critics don't have the spirit of Christ and a Christ-centered worldview. So they're missing some stuff that we're going to see that they're not going to see. Does that make sense? Just even practically, biblically speaking, if you've read the Bible or are familiar with the Bible, you, that's going to be part of your lens as well. Be sure to engage intelligently about the issues. Be creative. Come alongside. Attack. Suggest. Do what you will. So I had to be a little creative. Speak with authority using warranted evidence. When you respond to these fellow critics through supporting your own claim about Twelfth Night, remember, 
These critics are the representatives of the literary intelligentsia. They don't want to be distracted by your poor grammar and typos, right? <laughs> so this is college prep and Mr. D, and you need to have an editor, and you need to get it edited, and you need to clean up your paper before you hand it in. Yes? Sound good? All right. That being said, I do want you to print off, or if it's done electronically, show me the edited copy signed electronically if necessary by that editor. I will not grade your paper until I see an edited copy in hand or on a computer. Cheers? Agreed? Good? Okay. So, I, I don't know why the little cues, those are supposed to be little boxes, but whatever. If you check through this, check, 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 check. 1,000, 3,000, 1,300 word. Cover page, work site information. Underline your claim on 12th night. One other valid source, creative, edited paper. You go through this checklist, there's no reason why you wouldn't get a good grade. Does that make sense? Most students who fumble on this paper and then have to either rewrite it or redo it didn't do a, a good thesis statement or didn't underline their thesis statement. They underlined like the quote and they missed that because they weren't paying attention or didn't read the information. Or they don't add in three quotes from Twelfth Night with their location. Like you have to do that. Fair enough. Got to be part of your support. There is a requirement here for another valid source of warranted information. If I show up at your house and I want to come inside, you may want to let me in. But you're also allowed to say what? No. It's my house. Stay outside. And then I pull out a piece of paper and say, I have a what? A search warrant. Does that make sense? The warrant in search warrant means I have authority to enter your home. Got it? Warranted evidence for Twelfth Night and for a literary paper is junior research papers type of stuff. But if I pick up your paper and I read it and you use evidence to support it and it's not warranted, there's no authority, is it going to enter my mind? No, it needs the warrant. Otherwise, I'm going to be like, whatever, I don't trust you. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who this person is, right? So I say no spark notes or cliff notes unless, unless you do the research and find out who wrote the information on spark notes. What credentials do they have? What authority do they have? And then you actually cite that person in spark notes and their credentials, not just spark notes. Does that make sense? The problem with those types of pages is we don't know who's writing them and what kind of authority they have to say what they're saying. Fair enough? Those of you who have caught this, uh, another reason why I'm having you use Oxford is those first 80 pages. Is this warranted critical evidence on 12th night? It's right there in your book. So you need 12, three quotes from 12th night and then one piece of outside evidence. This is considered outside evidence because it's not the play. And it's warranted because it's who? Oxford, you're fine, right? That's part of why I picked it. So you can literally read this, use it to support your claim, and to respond to a critic, use the quotes, done. And those of you who are catching it right now, if you did your homework, how many quotes do you have? 
already typed up. And you already have maybe three to four paragraphs already written. That's part of me as a teacher. I love you. I'm on your side. <laughs> I try to not waste your time. Literally, if you followed the theme and got the quotes and already wrote, you could have up to 60% of your paper already done. You're, wel you're welcome. <laughs> Moana, you're welcome. <laughs> Whatever. You had a hand up. Um, yeah, so it looks like uh, you said letter a couple of times. So are we writing like we're writing to the critic or do yeah. you make like a, a thesis statement about that quote and then just write like a normal statement? Um, I appreciate that. I'm having you write the letter because I want it to feel and be more authentic, okay. like a conversation. Because that's really what literary criticism is. Does that make sense? Why do they make you get rid of the personal pronouns in official publications? Because they want it to be more objective and neutral. Does that make sense? They don't want it to be personal. They want it to be factual over here. The irony is that it's all personal. Right? So I'm kind of going backwards a little bit in those regards because I want it to be this more relational, conversational thing about Twelfth Night. Technically speaking, you're writing a paper for English class. So if that's going to help you, just I need to just write the paper, Dominguez. Yeah, it's fine, whatever. <laughs> right, not a big deal. Yeah. But I, I want to assign, generally speaking, this personal, conversational style letter, honestly, because I think it's easier to do is that, dear, dear Marilyn, I read your quote, really intriguing. Have you ever considered this? Da, 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 and then you say your claim and then you support it. Does that make sense? And that just, it, it gives you an audience that's more personal yeah. versus just your English teacher in high school. What is that, right? Yeah, maybe like the beginning's not even like a thesis statement. It's more of just like talking. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Now, it will be a claim because you have to claim something. Right. Otherwise, what, is, what are you writing? Right? So you've got to claim something that's arguable. You already all got that in junior research paper, right? Yeah? No? Okay. Like, we already did all that. Maybe not. Um, maybe, but I, that's why I'm here at the end of class to help you. We'll practice it. On Monday, I'm available. You do need to keep in mind, though, that I am not here to teach you how to write this paper. Hey. Hey. How's it going? I'm looking for a few people. All right. Josh, Anthony are here. Trey has not zoomed in and is not present. Trey is absent. Yes. The other two in the hallway. Let's there we go. All right. So I'm not here to necessarily teach you how to write this paper. I am assigning the paper, and we're pretending we're in college, and what are you supposed to do? Write it. Write it. <laughs> right? Does that make sense? Now, if, you, if you're having a hard time with that, well, I can obviously help you. Does that make sense? I am also not your editor, and no offense to any of the other teachers at Wheaton Academy, they're probably fantastic editors, but they're, I'm just gonna say it, they're too busy, like, not fair. They have so many other things that they're doing with their own classes. So find a peer, find someone else to edit. You had your hand up. Yeah, so for the editing, don't be like the sophomore who when I said write their paper on Macbeth, gave it to their sister who was in sixth grade and edited it, and he made the changes and made the paper worse. Because his teacher said he had to get an editor. Now, 
what kind of editor should you get? <laughs> a good editor? Someone who knows grammar and spelling and typos? Like, you need to get a good editor. Everybody has an editor. Trish Maine has an editor, <gasps> right? Like, Corey Hockett has an editor. I have lots of editors. <laughs> you need an editor, period. Don't, don't go to college and hand something in that's not edited. That's kind of the lesson I'm getting you to step into. And no offense at all, I know I'm recording, so parents, if you're listening, I bless you. But to be really blunt, some of your parents should not be your editors, right? Come on, right? And not, that's no offense to them, it's just that they're not editors. They're, they're not maybe skilled with grammar and writing and spelling and typos, etc., right? The other truth is that if you read your paper out loud to someone, you'll catch 80% of your own issues. I've done the anecdotal research on that. I used, when I taught sophomores, the sophomores had to read it out loud to two people and then get it signed and then print it off and give it to an editor and get it signed and then hand it to me. But you're not sophomore, so there you go. Thanks for your patience, you got a hand up. So, so there's a couple ways with the editing copy. You can type up your paper, print it off, and hand it to your editor. They grab a, a green pen, green for go, right? I always grade with green. And you, they, they you know, circle stuff and make suggestions and cross things out. And then at the end, they sign it and date it. They give it to you, and then what do you do with that? You make the changes, <laughs> right? Like, at least make the changes. And then you put the final one up on, on campus, and you give me the edited one. When I get the edited one, then I'll grade your paper. If I don't get an edited one, then the one you submitted is your rough draft. <laughs> and you get, is that, did that, we talked that through? Now, many of you have learned this really great skill of editing through like Word, where you send someone a Word document and they can do the comments on it. That's fantastic. So what you need to do is just print that off with the comments before you go through and change them all and delete all the comments. Does that make sense? Or you can do that on Google. Google Markup, I think, does it. Or now, you guys, this is amazing what you have with the surfaces. Send someone a PDF. They can draw all over it. Save the drawings of the PDF. Print that off. If you're able to do it and you do it electronically, just when you submit your final paper, submit both of those so that I can look at them. Like, yes, we tracking? Eric. That's fantastic, right? So then you, the editor reads it, signs it, like we're all good. The issue then would be when I grade it and I find 30 things wrong, how's your editor? <laughs> Does that make sense? Or when I grade it and I find nothing and it's fantastic, then good writing, good editor, go team. You're ready for college, you know what I mean? And in college, though, should you still have someone look at it? Yes, always, always, always have someone look at it. Always have someone look at it. Or better have them read it out loud to you. That's like the best. Because they'll find stuff as they're reading it and then you get to hear your own paper. You're like, oh my gosh, did I just say that? <laughs> or they're trying to read the sentence out loud and they can't because it's just so inaccurate. You're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Oh no. And you catch it because it's not your internal monologue in your head. All good? Great questions. 
D and Diamond, do you guys have any questions about just the practical side of this paper? Okay, <coughs> excuse me. I'd like you guys to do this now. Um, I th let me see, stick your letter to a critic. Wait, what's this one? Ah, so if you go back here and you scroll down, I want you guys to look at a few things. I'd like you to, ready? Everybody at least play along and click them open so you at least did that. <laughs> Is that fair enough? Twelfth Night Info, you don't need to do that one. Um, but Twelfth Night Letter, rubric, look at that. I've had 20 years to make a rubric, and I went to a conference on rubric making, so there you go, right? Um, it's very detailed rubric. This is what I'm gonna grade. What I like about a rubric like this is if you wanna get an A, what do you do? Yeah, you, you just go through and you do these things. If you wanna get a C, what can you do? Yeah, you can just do, well, you can go through and like do the below standard stuff, and then you can get a low grade. You get to do what? You get to pick, isn't that nice? <laughs> I am literally using this to grade. And so if you go through this rubric and check yourself, you can be like, oh my gosh, I forgot this, and then put it in and get the points, yeah? So there's the excellent stuff. Proficient, excellent and proficient lands you in the A, B-ish category, okay? But the points are all there. So the requirements is what we just talked about. Do you have a thesis statement? No <laughs> or yes, right? How did your analysis go? Where's your three quotes? That's 15 points, that's five points a quote. Do the math, you can't get higher than a mid B without the quotes and actually it'll just end up incomplete and you'll have to redo it, all right? Evidence, all right, uh, sources, your one source. You can do as many sources as you want but you have to have at least one outside warranted source. It's like junior research paper mini, yeah? Just got to keep practicing. Make sure, I want to make sure you know what you're doing before you go to college. And it's an important thing to have some outside voices in supporting your claim. Style and flow. Can I read it? Does it flow smoothly? Do you actually have transitions? Introduction and conclusion. Mechanics, right? Typos and spelling and stuff like that. And college prep. I threw a few points in there for college prep. Just simply like, ooh, you're ready. Nice work. Or, eh, you got the grade for high school, but not really ready for college yet. I mean, that's just a little bit of feedback. Question? Okay, so there's your rubric. Meaning making with Shakespeare, which is what we're gonna talk about here in just a second. I'm gonna walk you guys through that for 10 or 15 minutes just to hopefully inspire some ideas. So that's that sheet. And then I've got a model paper by Daniel Spiata. Okay, um, honestly, this paper is kind of insane. It's one of those, like, I get one or two of them every 20 years, and uh, every 20 years, every, within 20 years. He's a really good writer. You might not like his style, but he did a fantastic job. And it's kind of over the top and even a little silly at times. I just thought I'd throw it on there just so you can have fun reading it. You don't have to write like Daniel Spiata. Does that make sense? But it's there for those of you who are intrigued or want to, like, outdo him. Um, I just lost my spot. Okay. Cover page by Bobby Grafinski. I think he uses seven sources. How many do you have to have? One. <laughs> One source, three quotes. That's all you need. Is that fair? We're good? But I gave you an example of a cover page with him and what he did. And then I've got two model papers, Hilma and David. They do a fantastic job on their, their good, solid papers. 
You can do better than theirs. You could easily do worse. But if you kind of want to know what does Mr. D want, read them. Yeah? Gives you an idea. Don't write their papers, but you can read them. Questions? So we've got the rubric, we've got the info, we've got quotes, we've got all of our homework, we've got some model papers. I'm trying to set you up for success, yes? And I'm realizing with all this, this is why the students said, it'd be nice to just have a little time with me around to get this rolling. So I will, okay? It is due on October 13th. That's what, 10 days? So it's a Tuesday, so it's not next Tuesday, it's a week from that Tuesday. How's that sound? Does that work? Would anybody like an extension? Nobody? Oh, we got, you want an extension? Oh. Huh? On the what? Oh, I see, I keep trying to change it and it won't save. I will change that. I changed it yesterday and it didn't save. It was due next Tuesday, but that's when I put it in a month ago and we're realizing where we are. So I made it to the following Tuesday, the 13th. Does anybody want an extension or more time? Can I turn it through? I have a question. Well, you, uh, does, nobody wants more time? You want some more time? Well, I, well, here's the thing. I'll say it like this. There are a few people who wanted some more time in the last class, so I'll at least extend it to your class. Everybody gets a one-week extension. How's that sound? Does that work? Now, everybody catch this out, though. Yeah, catch this out. Check what I'm saying. When's it due? The 13th. That's when it's due. Everybody got that? So after that, it will be late, but I still gave you a one-week extension. So the, on the 20th, if I don't have your paper, a zero is going in. Does that make sense? Until you give it to me, right? When you get it, the zero, when I get it, the zero goes away, but the zero goes in and it goes down to the front office and it goes to your parents and you get put on that list and all that stuff starts happening, <laughs> all right? So, yes? So it's due the 13th. I gave you all an extension. So if you come to me on the 19th and ask me for an extension, what will I say? I already gave you a whole week, right? Everybody catch that? Yes. So I think for some of you, I think some of you already caught it, that'll feel like, oh, well, I can just wait till the 20th. Can you? Yes. Yes, but I just tell you right now, if you wait till the 19th and you don't have an editor lined up and it's due on the 20th, no offense, but poor move, right? Like that's, that's not the point of the extension. The point is get it done by the 13th. But if you're overwhelmed and it's COVID and everything's crazy and whatever's going on, you got some more time. Got it? Yes? Did everybody understand that? Yes. I need nods. Like, I actually need feedback right now. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Yes. And you're welcome. Is that helpful? All right. I'm available to guide you through this. I will not be teaching you how to write the paper, though. I already said that. Let me say this. Do the best you can. I will grade them when they come in. I will grade them as they come in. Does that make sense? I will also say on the record right now, if you hand it in after the 13th, which means I'm giving you more time, what are you going to give me for grading? Right? If I give you an extension, what are you going to give me? Thank you. <laughs> Agreed? <laughs> if you get it in on the 13th, I will grade your paper as soon as I can. But if you take more time, so will I. Yes? I will also say this to you. When you hand it in, if you get an 88, 
and the rubric points out what you can change and you want a 98, what can you do? Change it, hand it back in, show me what you changed, I'll give you more points. You can get the grade that you want on this paper, period. If that takes you four revisions, what did you just learn before you head to college? Yeah, I can get a 98 on my paper. It takes me four times, but I can do it. Does that make sense? Like, great, you learned an awesome skill before you go to school. So that way you revise your papers four times before you hand them in, right? That's a great life skill. So I will work with you on that one as well. I kind of like doing that with, with students who maybe end up with a C and I well, you don't have an intro and you, don't, you only have one quote and your source is kind of weak. Oh, oftentimes they just go and they change a few things for 20 minutes and boom. Now you've got a 95, right? So happy to work with you on that. Questions on any of that? All right, so it's been, what, a half an hour, well, 20 minutes explaining all this stuff. Just making sure we're all clear. You read it. I said it. I repeated myself. <laughs> Asked for questions. We're good. Vader. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a long paper. When you actually get it in there, though, it's going to be a five-paragraph essay, maybe a little. So 1,300 words at the long end of that is a two- to three-page paper. Does that make sense? That's going to be your normal, everyday paper in college. So I'm just trying to get you ready. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems like a lot of words, but you'll be okay. I'm happy to help. But good, solid intro, three or four chunky paragraphs with good support. A nice conclusion, you're good. Is the cover page and work started included in those words or not? Technically not, but we can chat. I'm not worried about the length. I want a really good paper. So if you can do it in 750 words, Madeir, get all it in in 750, that's awesome. <laughs> right? Then that's fine. I'm good. You don't have to make it any longer. If you've got all this stuff in there and it's compelling and well-written, make it shorter. That's great, especially in our culture. Yeah. Usually it takes about that long to write a good solid paper with these requirements. So, and if we need to include them to get the numbers, whatever. I, the num I don't really care about the number. I'm just giving you guys a target. Yeah, I just want a good paper. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next thing. Next thing. This next one that I'm gonna do is the meaning making with Shakespeare plays. So if you can click on that with the old logo, I'm gonna get in trouble. Um, I'd like you to go here and at least stare at this for a little while. If you could give me 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I'd like to, you know, basically you turn your brain into a nice big ball of Velcro and I'm gonna throw a whole bunch of things out there and a lot of it's just gonna go, nope, 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 and then something might go, <gasps> Wait, new historicism? That sounds cool, right? And if that sticks for you, then that's why we spent 15 minutes right now. Does that make sense? Is I'm gonna give you literary critical techniques that people use in college and grad school and in their PhD programs just to, just to throw it out there. 
Some of you are going to sit here for 20 minutes and nothing's going to stick. And thanks for letting me try. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I used to spend three days teaching this stuff. And I only had one or two students at the end of those three days who really liked it. So now I just don't. <laughs> okay. So it used to be three days. And now it's 20 minutes. I can't let go of it, though, just because when I watch some of you respond to some of this, I get some nods or like, oh, that sounds cool. And had I not said it, you wouldn't have been aware of it. The other thing is that this is a vocabulary list. On this second page right here, some of you are just going to want to type that in and look at Wikipedia even. Eh, go a little deeper. But these isms and literary theory things will really help you with your theme and actually give you a framework and a construct for your little essay. All right. So how to make meaning out of literature, particularly Shakespeare. Here's the ingredients, right? At least I'm your English teacher, so you're going to get it from me. Know the plot and the characters. How you doing? Come on. We okay? You got the plot? Got some characters? Good. Find some issues? Do we have some themes? Yes or no? Nice job. Gather some evidence. Did you do your homework? <laughs> do you have quotes? Have you responded already a little bit? Many of you have. Nice job. So now, do you have something to say with all of that? And that's what this is, right? And so now what we need to do is create a warrant or develop a claim. It's called a thesis statement. I don't like the word thesis statement. I like claim better. It's like I stake my claim. This is my island. Come and take it. Yeah, you're claiming it. Um, I like that. Plus, thesis sounds like thesis, and that's just gross. So nobody's laughing. I guess that was a really bad joke. It wasn't even a joke. Whatever. Nobody, okay, onward. So a few tips. This used to be an assignment that I did in class. I'm not going to make you do it. And it's COVID, so it's tricky. All right. Um, but I'd like you to look for claims. The quote list should help you brainstorm your options, work in groups, which is fine if you want to. I think that's great. You can go in the hall or you can create a little clump and chat it up. We already did that once or twice with our themes, right, to get the brain spinning. But number four is what I want to spend just a few minutes on and practice, okay? This is all on the back, and then just go for it and support it using your quotes. So number four, state the obvious and then go beyond it. I, I could show the little clip from uh, Frozen with um, Olaf. Yeah, why? Yeah, why? Nobody, yeah, maybe, okay. Super fun. All right, so state the obvious. Can I get anyone out there today, this morning at 9.40, anyone willing to state something really obvious? It would be like your fifth grade or sixth grade, you know, paper on 12th night, and you're just going to make this junior high thesis statement. But it's an obvious, true statement about 12th night. Pick a character and say something about him. Yeah, Madeira, what do you got? Okay, so Malvolio, right? Good, so Malvolio is a manipulative character. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay, great. Now, could we write a paper about that? Yeah, that's what I want to tell you. Like, okay, it'll probably be a report where you, Malvolio is manipulative, and here's four reasons why, yes? 
that's fine. That's junior high, maybe freshman year, right? We're trying to push this up a little bit higher and deeper in the analysis. So we state the obvious. For many of you, you really got to start there. Toby is a drunken fool. Duh, right? That makes sense. Viola wears a mask, and that creates chaos. Like, yeah, thanks. Like, that's the play. Does that make sense? So, but you still want to do what? You still state it. Malvolio is manipulative, right? What, what was it? Malvolio? Malvolio is manipulative. So, right here, you don't have to be you. Anybody can join Madeira. Why? Okay, so do you see what just happened there? We had the obvious one, and now it's like, no, no. We're now we're focusing on a scene. In the scene with the letter, he manipulates that letter for his what? For himself, right? Ready? <laughs> You're going to hate me. <laughs> Why? Why does he do that? Help him out, anybody. But why do you think he manipulates the letter for his own self-gain? But, but to see what's happening now, see where we're going now? We're digging behind that. I think that, so he's, he wants to use the letter for his own gain, because why does he need to gain something here? What's, what's in his character or personality, or what do we know from the story? What does he want to gain? He wants to gain love, so he's manipulating the letter for his own selfish purposes, right? Because he wants to gain love or gain power. Are we tracking there? Yeah? Now, see what happened? That was just two rounds of it. We could even go farther. Why does he want to gain power and love? What was that? Yeah, he, he doesn't like his position. He wants revenge maybe against the people who look down on him and and abuse him as a servant. So he's, Malvolio is sick of being a servant, so he manipulates the letter to, so he can get more power so he can hurt Toby, who's been hurt. Do you see what just happened there? Everybody got that? Now, that's arguable, but it's narrow and it's more focused. We're analyzing, we're getting behind it, and now we're gonna use the quotes to support that. Go team, do you see what just happened? Yes? So at the, at the very least, do, do two or three layers of the why. Start with something obvious, start with your theme, and then go with the, yeah, why, <laughs> yeah, why, yeah, why, and dig, 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 push. I did that with a few students yesterday, it was super fun. I kind of, we, we chatted through it, they're like, well, Mr. D, what about this? I'm like, yeah, why? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, and sometimes you just need to process it out and keep digging. And then you'll land on a really juicy claim on Twelfth Night, something that's worth saying and writing about. Let's give it up for Madeira. Thank you for that. Nice job. Thank you for joining. One more. Give me one more. Somebody else. State the obvious. Yeah. Toby is addicted to alcohol, right? You can kind of see where this is going. We did this one yesterday, too. 
Is that kind of obvious in the play? Is it arguable? Eh, probably not. He's mostly drunk every scene, right? So, okay, we've said that, and then now ready? Why? Why is Toby addicted to alcohol? Yeah, so yeah, so let's let's go there. Now, we don't know, but you see remember a claim you're you're making a claim and then you're going to support it. So you just do the best you can with what you've got. So Toby is addicted to alcohol. Why? You got a thought? I think that would be a, a there's a couple routes we can take or maybe it's a combination of them. He's bored. He doesn't have purpose and meaning in life, right? So he has a loveless, boring existence. Is he doing any kingdom building or any serving of anybody? No. So maybe in his boredom and his absurdity, he's going to alcohol to deal with that pain. And you had a comment. So maybe because he's lonely. Maybe he's not lonely, maybe he is lonely, maybe he's using the alcohol to get friends, but they're not real friends, and he's drunk all the time because of the pain of loneliness. Maybe, you know, his uncle died, and his nephew died, and he doesn't have a job, he mooches off his niece. See what happens, so Eric, do you see what we're doing now? And so then we, what we do is instead of just saying, right, he's addicted to alcohol, we say, Malvolio's alcohol addiction is fueled by his loneliness, the absurdity of his life, right, and the pain of the death in his life. Now that we have a thesis statement. And then what you get the quotes, you prove it, boom. Yeah? Wait, who died? Huh? Who died? You said like the pain of death. Oh, well remember the play starts with Olivia's brother dying. That's his nephew. That'd be like Logan Ox dying for me. Would that affect me? That'd be really sad. I, by the way, if you didn't know we were related, right? So maybe he didn't want me to say that. I don't know. <laughs> right. but, but also, she says that her dad died a year ago. That could potentially be Toby's what? Brother. Brother. Whoa, right? So that's in the background at the front of this play. Has he ever dealt with that? Yeah? Where's the moms? All that type of stuff. Eric, does that help? So you guys see what happens? In, in eighth grade, Toby's an alcoholic. And then what do you do in the paper? <coughs> Look, he's drunk in this scene, and he's drunk in this scene, and he's drunk in this scene. Therefore, Toby's an alcoholic. Did you write your paper? Yeah, it's a report. OK, good. But you see why we need to get past that now. now we want to get into the senior level, college level, analysis of the play by asking why, 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 dig a little deeper, yeah? It doesn't have to be why, you can simply just go for causation or some of these other things. So I said 15 minutes, I've already used up most of it. Can I cruise on? Yes. You ever get the concept here? So let's get to this second page. I'm gonna go way too fast for this. This is the Velcro point, right? But I think some of these might be intriguing to you. So if you can kind of like wake up for a second, Think of your theme, think of the play, think of a favorite scene or something, some lesson that we did that kind of got you thinking a little bit, and then add this to it. You can look at character analysis in your paper. 
Did Malvolio ever change and grow and learn a big lesson? Okay, so ready? Why? Did he have a chance to? Could he have changed? Yes. And he didn't? What the heck, right? Did Toby ever have a big epiphany awakening moment and change? Not really. No. How about this though? Did Viola? Yeah, disguise is bad. She wakes up to that. She navigates it, pulls it off at the end. The truth really sets us free. <gasps> we got a paper there. Did Festy change or grow? Nope. Yeah. So all these characters have opportunities to change and grow, and some are and some aren't. Why? Got it? Yes? Character analysis? It's a really fun approach to this. Look for epiphanies and awakening and transformation. Read a response. I've already asked you to read a response. True analytical critical reader response has two steps to it. Okay. Is anybody willing to share an emotional moment in the play for you? I, I really liked this moment or this was really painful to watch. Anybody willing to share one? That's okay. It's always painful for me to watch Malvolio locked up in the, the dungeon thing. Does that make sense? So a reader response would be potentially this. I watched Twelfth Night. I was really frustrated that they mocked him. But then when they threw him in the dark dungeon, I was angry. I was hurt. That was unfair. So that's your paragraph, right? So you're responding to it. Ready? True reader response is this. Do you automatically have to respond that way to that scene? Does everybody respond the same way to that scene? So why did you respond with pain and frustration to that scene? Oh, yeah, when I was in sixth grade, I remember being bullied and it really hurt and it was something similar. <gasps> now do you see the reader response there? Okay. I remember watching Twelfth Night and when Viola felt so trapped and overwhelmed because she was confused, yeah, I remember once I had told a lie and it caught up with me and here I was in this situation feeling trapped and overwhelmed. I know what she feels like. So you respond and then you write about why you responded that way. Yes? Okay. Another one that's really fun is a close reading. It's like an archaeological dig. Close reading is like putting it under the microscope. Could you write a paper about Twelfth Night focusing on the use of the word love? Just the one word love in this play. Oh my gosh, you could write a doctoral dissertation, write an 800 page paper on that. How about the word fool? The word madness? Drunkenness? All you need is one word and you can write a paper. Does that make sense? That's a close reading, focusing in on something. You can do something with Symbolism and allegory. Yeah. You don't have to use any of this, but if it's intriguing to you, these are really good frames for writing papers. Does that make sense? Yeah, be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be great. It'd be a great paper. Yeah. But what I want to make sure you do is, that if you're gonna do a real reader response, don't just respond to the play. Respond about why you responded that way. And now you really got a paper. Does that make sense? Then, then it's personal. Not everybody likes to do those because they're personal, but that's the whole point. They're personal. Yeah. Um, symbolism and allegory is fun. 
Jesus goes up on the mountain and he tells this story about a farmer who sows the seed and he throws the seed and some lands on the rocky and the right. You guys know the story. Is it really about farmers and seeds? Well, yeah, but no, it's about the word of God and spreading the word of God, etc. So he uses one story to tell another story. Be careful. But could Jesus have told Twelfth Night to teach us about some things? Yeah. Could we potentially even reset Twelfth Night at Wheaton Academy? <laughs> Don't say any names out loud. But are there festies at this school? Are there Tobys at this school? Are there Andrews at this school? Are there Olivia's at the? Come on, are there? You could go right down the whole cat class list, couldn't you? So is Twelfth Night just a parable for all of us to recapitulate these truths in our own culture? Who's seen She's the Man? That's what they did, is they took Twelfth Night and reset it in a high school with soccer. Okay, and it worked really well, yeah? So you could do that for your paper and talk about how it's resetting and recontextualizing things. Another uh, one that's really fun is to look for Christ in this story. Not as an add-on or a devotional, but where do we see real love? Where do we see a Christ figure? I've already hinted at an Antonio or a Viola at times, right? And the others aren't. Why? What does that mean? That's a powerful, a gospel-focused, a gospel-centered interpretation. It's going to be really fun. Some of the classic isms from lit theory, psychoanalytic theory, what's motivating the characters? Are they all motivated just so they can have sex? <laughs> you can write a paper right there, no problem, right? Are they motivated because of dead family members and the pain that that brings? Like, what's motivating Festy this whole time? Does he just need money so he doesn't starve? Yeah. Like, so, everybody got that? It's like some of you, that, that psychoanalytic theory, dig into that, research that. Woo, baby, that'll be good. New criticism, find the perfect interpretation. Most of you won't like doing that, and eh, I don't know how I feel about that. But someone's looking for, like, the best interpretation of Twelfth Night. Okay, have fun. I do like structuralism. Who uses language the best in Twelfth Night? Who's the best at language? Like, is Andrew really good at communicating? No. How do things end up for Andrew? Is that because he can't communicate? Interesting. How is Viola at communicating? She's really good at communicating, and she ends up marrying the Duke, <laughs> right? Not too shabby. How's Festy at communicating and with words and language? Amazing. Amazing. And how is he at the end? Yeah. How's Toby with his language? Uh, not great. And that's the thing. So he doesn't end up totally in the gutter, but is he really on top? No. Is, uh, is it all about language and the power of words and how you can use vocabulary? Maybe. I don't know. Structuralism is really intriguing. Deconstruction is when you pull something apart. Does Shakespeare deconstructed the concept of marriage in this play? What is marriage? What does it mean? What is love? So he pulls apart love into all this big spectrum. Yes? Deconstruction is when you take the play and you start pulling it apart, or you take a concept and pull it apart. Super fun. you got to research that if you want to know more about it, but some of you will really like deconstruction. We like to build, but we also like to pull it apart. It's like dissecting a cat. You learn a lot. No cat at the end. 
but you learn a lot. Yeah, so you can d dissect this play and pull it apart. Feminism, woot woot, right? Feminism is awesome. We need feminism. We need to expose patriarchal dominance. That's really important. How does Shakespeare do with girl power in this play? Oh, come on, right? We have this girl dress up as a guy and do guy things really well. That's fantastic, right? It's really important. We've come a long way in 400 years. We've got a long way to go. But patriarchal oppression needs to be exposed. Now, we're not looking at abusive feminism, which is male hater. We don't want that. Does that make sense? We also don't want woman hater. We don't want male hater. But exposing oppression is really important. That's valuable. Shakespeare does a good job at this. Marxism, oh man, you could simply just take money in this play and write your paper. Are they all motivated? Like, they, there's a shipwreck at the beginning. They have nothing. So are they really maybe just trying to marry the Duchess and the Duke so they could have money? Come on, could you get away with that? <laughs> and by the way, who has the privilege in the play? The people with the what? What is Shakespeare saying? <laughs> what was Elizabethan England like? Why do you see Festy begging all the time? Because he doesn't have what? Interesting. Okay. Gender studies, we've already talked about that. Femininity and masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man or a woman in Christ? Have a ball. Yeah? And then this last one, new historicism. I think some of you will love new historicism. New historicism is when you take the play and you interpret it within the context of history. Yes? Are there any history buffs in the room? Some of you? Maybe? Nobody? Yeah? If you like history, you'll like that one. Because what you get to do is you get to say, what is Shakespeare saying about Elizabethan England through Twelfth Night? Or what do we learn? Like you can do a new historicism bit on COVID and the plague. Does that make sense? Go research the plague and how that impacted his play and research COVID and how it's impacting our culture. You got a dissertation, you know, like, right? Does that make, you can write a book, yeah? So any of that type of stuff. One of my favorite bits of new historicism is uh, when some scholars researched discipleship. And instead of interpreting it from 2020 discipleship, they actually did the research 2,000 years ago, what was the rabbinical method. They went over to the Middle East and talked to the rabbis about the rabbinical method and what was going on. And they found out, just like they found out that Mary was probably 14, they found out that most of the disciples were probably sophomores in high school. <laughs> right? Wait, what? Oh, yeah. Why does Jesus choose teenagers? Because teenagers are awesome. <laughs> they want to change the world, and you're right on the cusp of everything, yes? That was really cool information for our world in the Western culture, Western modern culture, to actually unearth. Instead of assuming they were all mature adults, they're growing adults. They're, they're 14 and 15, 18, yeah? That's cool stuff, right? What can you learn about Queen Elizabeth? <laughs> Lots to learn with new historicism. Make up your own theoretical style. Have fun. Be scholars. And the last point here, don't be afraid to be a Christian scholar. Okay? What I don't want you to do is write a paper on love and then slap on 1 Corinthians 13 at the end because it feels like a devotional and you need an outside source. Eh. 
week, you get your grade. Not analytical and not critical. Is Paul the Apostle a scholar? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, right? Like he inspires Augustine. So Paul is a, a scholar. He's a genius. Is the Bible authoritative? Yes. Does that make sense? So you can use the Bible as authority and Paul as a scholar, but you need to use it to support your claim in a scholarly way. Now we're talking. Does that make sense? So definitely use Proverbs. Solomon's really wise. He's got great authority. Jesus has great authority. You need to use the Bible to support your claim in your paper, not as a tag on. I love well-used scripture. That's great. But when you're just tagging it on, I'll probably call you out. Okay? Because you want me to call you out now. You don't want to be called out later. Does that work? Go team. Questions on that? That was a little longer than 15 minutes, but hopefully some, maybe something stuck, and now you can go research more. Right, we have a half hour left in class. Let's just take a few minutes to talk about a quote or two, and then I'll give you the rest of class to just get started. Is that fair? So let's just get grounded in here. What, what, go back to what the critics say, and is anybody willing to share one of the quotes that they really liked? that they would consider writing about. I don't call on students. I got a 20 year track record of not calling on students. I'm not gonna break it right now. <laughs> and the reason why is safe classroom, but also you gotta practice volunteering. You got good stuff to say. You've got a comment. Raise your hand. Hopefully it's safe. You got, was that, you're adjusting the sleeve. You went above your shoulder. Ah! <laughs> Madeir, thanks. Yeah, what do you got? What's one that you liked? Give us the year so we could all find it or the page number. 1900 and the last page. The last one. The last, it was on the last page. Okay, so let's all go there. Who is it? Uh, Mark Van Doren. Okay. Why'd you pick that one? Well, what are you afraid of, though, in saying that? Because you're making a statement and a claim, so go for it. I'm just saying, like, there are still people, there are still, like, teenagers, like, people of any, like, like, sex or any, like, race or any age, there are still people that, like, shrink and, like, don't care about morals, like, nobody does. Yeah. And does that have an effect on the culture? Yeah. Did Toby have an effect on the culture of the Illyria and Twelfth Night? Yeah, and is that still around? Yeah, does it still have an effect? Yeah, so can we process that? You don't have to necessarily agree fully with the quote, but you could say, hey, I hear your quote, and yeah, I'm at a school right now, 
uh, theoretically a Christian culture, even a kingdom culture. And when I watch people abuse alcohol or abuse sex, these good things that God offers us as a gift, it does ruin the culture, just like it did in 12.9. Can you, does that, yeah, is that fair? So, but we also don't want to be judgmental like Malvolio and say, I, and since I don't, and yeah, and I'm Madeira, and since I don't do that stuff, I'm better than all of them. Well, that's judgmental. But to talk about the effects of their decisions on the culture with these really poor choices, yeah, that's being critical. That's, that's critical in the best sense, is you're analyzing, oh, it happened then. It's happening now. It happened in Jesus' day, right? It happened 3,000 years ago in Solomon, you know, in Israel. Solomon's like, yeah, watch out for drunkenness because it destroys the community. Yeah? Fair enough? Yeah. Cheers. You had your hand up? Did you have a quote? Uh, yeah, it's uh, in 1867. 1867. Page two. Page two. All right. What do you got? Um, we are all in degree <laughs> the same. Some have graceful poise, men, and other than men, grotesque and trivial. Yeah, I love that one. Top of page two, if you didn't catch it. <laughs> Why'd you pick that one? Yeah. Yeah. I like the quote because isn't it kind of nice that everybody's insane? <laughs> like it's, like, it's not just me. <laughs> like I know I'm insane, um, but so are you. Woo! And nobody's laughing. A few of are laughing, right? I mean, come on, right? Isn't it freeing to just like we're all crazy, especially right now? Yes. Holy cow! Which kind of crazy is it, though? <laughs> right? Is it the beautiful crazy like Jesus? Or is it kind of this other type of crazy that's a little darker? Yeah, be a great paper, fair enough. One quick tip, if you're gonna write the paper, everybody in 12th night is insane, and here's why. How long will that paper be? <laughs> yeah, you, you just can't do it for this assignment. So you say like, I agree, E. Montagut, right? Like, <laughs> we're all insane. I see it in 12th night. I see it in the hallways of Wheaton Academy. These two characters <coughs> help me understand this. Is that, yeah, so narrow it down. Or say something else. Yeah, yeah you got a thought? So some of these quotes are like pretty big. Um, are we like putting the whole thing in the paper to like break it down? You can do whatever you want. This is wide open. I'm trying to give you like a fence over here and a fence over here with a whole bunch of quotes inside of it and write a paper and then just kind of go for it. So don't, don't think I gotta do something to make Mr. D happy on some level or that I have some certain expectation. You can take this big chunky quote and say, this part of this quote is what really intrigued me. Okay. Yeah, you can chop it up, whatever you need to do. Yeah, so you can do that. You could also take the quote, like the insanity quote, and then not write about insanity at all, but you're just gonna write to E. Montagut saying, thanks for your quote on insanity, that was really cool. I'm gonna write about love. <laughs> Whatever, does that make sense? So don't feel locked in. You do not have to write about the theme that you followed. If you followed service and you wanna write about love, have a ball, you did your homework, you practiced that skill, you do have the quotes. I set you up for the paper in case you're like overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, well you at least have stuff, does that make sense? But don't feel locked in on any of this. Like we even said, don't even feel locked in to write to the critic. I just want a good paper. 
that makes sense. So. One more. Come on, one more quote. Yeah, what do you got? Nineteen thirty-six. Let's go there. Go for it. Uh, in oh yeah. Yeah. What do you? Why'd you pick that one? That's a great quote. What? Yeah, and you've got Malvolio's not happy at the. It's not like, and they all lived happily ever after, right? And what does that do? This person is saying, "I like that. I like that about the play. It's intriguing. It creates this undertone." You could agree, disagree, whatever you want. Yeah, cool. Nice catch. Good. Yeah, Eric. One thing I got is like the rich people got like the supposed happy ending, even though they're not truly happy. They're yeah. The ones who were seen like dancing and. Yeah. But it still implies that like you know rich people still like have problems and they, they don't have like that happy ending. I think that's an intriguing way to say it, especially in the suburbs. Like, come on, right? <laughs> right. Oh, they've got a bigger house than us, and their families—they've got the amazing Christmas photo. They must be all awesome, and the truth be told. Even if you've got that wealth, there's still probably pain, maybe brokenness, maybe awkwardness, maybe that marriage looks amazing, but they don't actually know each other. I appreciate that, Eric. Right? That's a, that would be a fantastic paper, wouldn't it? Look what Shakespeare's saying about this upper echelons and all their money and power. Does it really get them what they want? Or maybe it's only can do so much. Yeah. Yeah, do what you got to do. We good? There's a couple of other quotes in here. I already hinted at them. Let me give you one that I think is cool, and I can't find it. I'm still looking for it. It might not be in there. It might have been an old quote. But I read it, and this is literary criticism for you. We watched it in the movie. We read it in the play. At the end, Malvolio is looking probably at the, the people on stage. They all, they're abusing him, and they're like, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you, right? The other characters. But this critic, did anybody catch it? If you know which one it is, Help me find it. He says, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you. And he looks at who? The audience. Because what did the audience do for two or three hours? They watched what? Him suffer, and they did nothing. They just sat there. And you're like, yeah, but wait, it's a play. I can't go up on stage and stop it. Yep, we all come up with excuses, don't we? To not get involved with the bullying or the racism or the bigotry. Right? Oh, I was like, oh, that's, that quote is so good. Or the one where it's, I'm aware of laughter at the wrong places in the play, right? Like that quote is so good. Like, yeah, you're laughing at something that you shouldn't be laughing at. Like, just brilliant stuff. That's good literary criticism that hopefully inspires you as you continue this journey. Yeah, Madeira. Uh, it's like, it's like doing, like, no, we're fine. Yeah. Yeah. 
love, he's not stupid, but he's dumb. You know, like, no, he's not stupid, but he's foolish. He's, how about this? He's ignorant. He's unaware. He hasn't self-actualized. He doesn't really know who he is, like those types of things, right? And is that funny? Are we laughing at it because we see it in ourselves? Or why do we laugh at it? Great reader response. We good? Hey, thanks for listening. Nice job today. I want to keep going, but I kind of want to just stop talking and give you the last 15 minutes at least to read, get started. I'm here for questions. Yeah, yeah do what you got to do. All right. Go team. So here's what we'll do. You got 15 minutes. I'll put some tunes on and you can finish your homework here. You can try to get started. On Monday, you're supposed to have two thesis statements by Monday by the end of class on Monday. Does that make sense? And I'm here to help you with that and we can process it out. I can even help you right now. Hey, Dominguez, I got this idea and I'll come and we can chat for a second. All right? Yeah. I will, I'll talk to you guys about that. If you would like more time, we can negotiate that. We'll see what's going on. I mean, because it's, we got all this stuff going on. So but whatever you guys need, I'll work with you. I do have 60 students that I have to navigate the time with, so, but we'll, we'll figure something out. Is that fair? Yeah. You were saying two thesis statements, like just that we would potentially. Yeah. Just I want you to practice writing thesis statements. Can we like start writing like one based on one thesis statement? Yeah, just have a ball. This is English class in high school. Give me some thesis statements. Show me you know what you're doing. I'll give you some feedback. I'll probably be like, yeah, why? <laughs> right? But uh, but at least I get to see that you've you've gone past the obvious. That's kind of what I'm looking for. All right. And if you send me two thesis statements that you think are past the obvious and they're not, I'll give you a little feedback. Or I might be like, woo, you rocked the house. Go for it. Yeah, that's all it is. And you can start. You can revise. You can do whatever you need to. Yeah. From the clothes we pick, can we pick different ones? Like, can we change our minds? Totally. You do whatever you want. Yep. This is, you got two weeks to write this thing. Get started, it'll change, you can change later, you don't have to use your theme, you can pick it, you can chop the quotes up, pick a different quote, whatever you need. I'm here to help. Kind of want you to relax and have a little bit of fun with it. Don't underestimate yourself. You have probably studied this play more than some of the scholars in this packet. Not kidding. Some of them probably just showed up, watched it, and then wrote about it. You spent four weeks reading it a couple times, watching the movie, analyzing it, processing, reading about it, so. You got, you got stuff to say. Yeah. Yeah, do what you got to do. All right, Zoomers, thanks for listening. Nice job today. We're done on this end, okay? Unless you guys have any questions for me. Yeah. All right, peace out. Bye.